Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. We are, uh, we're glad that you're joining us this morning, and we hope that uh, your morning has been blessed and that our worship time has been a blessing to you. And now we get the opportunity and the privilege to enter into a time in God's Word uh, to where we can learn, be challenged, be comforted by His Word. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Uh, If you are relatively new to the Bible, that's towards the end of the book. Uh, If you have a digital download on your phone, it will be down towards the end with the New Testament uh, portion there. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. And before I read the passage, um, this is a a scripture that is instructing us. Paul is writing a letter to us here today. And in this passage, he's going to tell us that we need to be imitators of God. And as I think about the weight of that statement in my life, in in my history, and in my present, I think of sometimes how poorly that I can imitate God. Um, And that it's not a good imitation whatsoever. You know, and the thing, the thing about imitations, especially if you're trying to do like an impersonation, is in your head you think you nail it. Right? Like if we're trying, like any time that Guns N' Roses comes on, it is impossible to sing along and not try to sound like Axl Rose. And in my head, I nail it every time. Anybody who may be around would maybe think otherwise. But I think about some of the things that we find in our world that are maybe not the greatest imitations. Um, For example, imitation crab meat. Just don't. Okay? Just don't. Imitation sushi. Just don't. Uh, Let's see... that genuine imitation leather. Anybody ever seen that? It's like genuine imitation leather. Um, let me see. What are, what are some other ones here? Uh, anything other than Jif peanut butter. Okay. Skippy, Peter Pan, keep it. All right. Imitation, knockoffs. Don't at me. Okay, I don't care. It's got to be Jif. Ah, uh, let's see. Nothing. Rap music. Nothing? Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, say that's yeah. Maybe maybe that's more of an oxymoron type thing. So I'm saying that for my good friend that's sitting over here that's just not <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> and as I think about a time in my life of when I was a really poor imitation of something, when I was growing up, it was the junior high time and saved by the bell. Any, anyone, anyone saved by the bell was big. The original, I'm not talking about what they've got going on now. Get out of my, get off my lawn, you know, all of that stuff. But I wanted to be like Zach Morris. 
Zach Morris. So he was the dude that had the cool, you know, highlights in his hair, and it was blonde. He kind of had the sides of it shaved here a little bit, and it went into these great, you know, majestic flowing locks of blonde on top of his head. So I decided that's what I want to do. I mean, because obviously you see me, you think Zach Morris, right? That's not, that's not the joke. It's not the joke. But I, first time I went to the lady who did my hair, and she put a little bit of color in my hair, and I was like, okay, you know, it was the streaks of blonde back then. And I was like, okay, that, that looks all right, but it needs more. So we decide that she obviously doesn't know what she's doing. So I buy some uh, hair dye, and we do it at the house. What could go wrong there, right? So we slap it on there. I mean, it's like paint, man. You know, it's like mud and drywall. It's just this white, just, I kind of look like a skunk. If I'm being honest, I had these two strips, right? They're gray now and very little of it, but use your imagination. I had these two strips of just super dark, buzz cut kind of black hair right here, and then just solid white. Straight down. It looked like somebody scared me. Yeah, I kind of needed to walk around with this look on my face the whole time. But the even better part about that is that my hair turned like every color possible before that color got out of there. It's like it started white and it went to some kind of weird yellow, then it kind of turned to green. You know, like the imitation gold green that your fingers and your neck turn if you got. And I had that going on at that time too, you know, because I had the big thick chain. You know, and I had that green going on around my neck. And then it, it just, it was bad. I mean, it was just a bad imitation. And I, th- I think about that and I look at this passage. So that's just a natural segue into reading the Bible, right? So let's, <laughs> let's read from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So just as we normally do here, and we really highlight the sections of Scripture that talk about therefore. And again, we know that we need to stop, we need to pause, and we need to connect what we're reading with what we've just read. And that was last Sunday. So if you see a therefore in scripture, that means that he's making a statement that builds on the context of what he has already written. And we see instructions in one and two to be imitators of God. And if we connect it back to the last passage coming out of chapter four, then we see the connection points here. And I'm just going to read this to you really quickly. 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. No break, reading right into verse 1 again. Therefore, be imitators of God. So the instruction coming out of chapter 4 is put aside all of the toxic stuff we talked about last week, the wrath, the anger, the clamor, the slander. Put all of that along with malice away from you. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Now, if any of you are here and you're familiar with the story of Corey Ten Boom, 
This is a beautiful picture of this because what God is telling us to imitate, what Paul's telling us here to imitate about God, is this forgiveness, is this love, is this compassion, and this willing to have continue in strong relationship with your brother or sister who may who may have wronged you. Corey Ten Boom, young person in Holland back in the time of World War II. Uh, she, if you've not read about her, I encourage you to do so. It's a fascinating story. But her family basically uh, hid Jewish believers uh, from uh, the Germans in World War II, and eventually they were found out. She and her sister were taken to a consec- uh, consecration camp. And eventually her sister winds up dying, and miraculously, if you read the story, and Corey writes this, that God freed her miraculously by what was deemed a clerical error so that she could tell her story about how God had saved her and about how miraculous God had worked through her life because it wasn't but just a a short period of time after she was released from that camp that all of the young ladies in that camp were executed. But she makes this statement, she tells this story that she's speaking at a church once, she's telling her story, she's giving her testimony, expressing the goodness of God in her life. When she looks out and she sees a face from her past, one of the Gestapo members who was in charge of protecting the door as they went in and out of the showers. So here is this person who she had vilified, who rightfully had, had this place in her heart of anger, of malice, of hate, of betrayal. And now all of a sudden, she's looking upon this face that she hadn't seen since her release from that concentration camp. And after everything was done, and she had shared the good news about how God forgives sinners, how God extends his love, about how God can, even the worst amongst us, can reach out his hand and extend it and save us and redeem us and call us his own. He comes up to her and he says, with this big smile on his face, and just says, isn't it amazing how God and his love and his grace and his mercy can save a sinner who has done such terrible things as what I have done. And he reached out his hand for her to shake it. She had this really introspective moment because she said that there was nothing about her that wanted to shake this man's hand. And all of a sudden, feelings of anger, feelings of unforgiveness, and bitterness about what this man and what his people had done to her and how she had lost family members, a sister, as a direct result of what he stood for, of things that he did. She said, finally, I forced myself to shake his hand. And she said, I was dealing with feelings at that moment that I didn't even know that still existed in me. But the moment that I took his hand, there was a connection there. There was something that shot through me that I knew it was from God of a release of bitterness, of unforgiveness, of malice and hate in my heart. And I experienced the love of God in a way that I'd never experienced before. That's an amazing story of forgiveness. And one, if I'm being real honest, I don't know if I would have reacted the same way. 
But that's what Paul is instructing us here. Be imitators of God. And I love the tense in this passage as well. And it's something that I think that we need to pay attention to. Is Paul's writing this in a present, current, ongoing tense. It isn't a past tense. It isn't something that he's writing in the form that we can actually achieve this fully and completely. It's something that's ongoing through our lives because I cannot look back on my life and find a day where I say I perfectly imitated God at that point. And I don't think any of you could say the same. I don't think you could say that either, that you've perfectly imitated God at any point in your life. The instruction that we have here as to how this is achievable, how this needs to be pursued, how we need to set our face towards this is through one of the characteristics of God. Because obviously, we're not going to be able to be imitators fully of God. We're not going to be able to start speaking worlds and galaxies into existence and then happen. We're not going to be able to, in and of ourselves, achieve forgiveness for not only us, but for everyone else. So there are certain things of God that we can't do. It's unattainable for us. But some of the characteristics of God is what we are being instructed here by Paul to imitate. And forgiveness, kindness, gentleness, the fruits of the Spirit, those are what we should be imitating that are characteristics of our Heavenly Father. But the vehicle that Paul uses here in this verse 1 and verse 2 is love. So therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Understand this passage that Paul is making a really important identification as to our position in this commandment as beloved children. I did a, uh, a, a wedding one time. I officiated a wedding. And in it was the ring bearer. And listen, there's nothing funnier in weddings than kids. So for anyone in here who's single, hopes to be married someday and has this big wedding planned out and you think everything's going to be perfect, if you put kids in your wedding, kids are going to be kids. And they're going to be funny. And people are going to love it. But this little guy... Absolute, for whatever reason, absolutely hated having anything on other than a t-shirt. Like He did not want any part of the, of the get-up that they had for him to wear during this wedding ceremony. Fortunately, his dad was one of the groomsmen. And the kid wasn't wanting to wear it, wasn't wanting to wear it. I mean, throwing an absolute fit. I know it's hard for you all to imagine any young child throwing a fit, not wanting to do something and being obstinate and stubborn, but it happens. I promise you it does. So what they do to remedy this is this, the, the, the dad ended up going to find the son, and all of a sudden when the son saw that the father, that the dad, was wearing the exact same thing, 
all of a sudden, it was something that he wanted to do and that he was okay with doing. I tell you that to, to say this. There are going to be people in your life that you don't want to forgive. There may be people sitting in this room that you don't want to forgive. There's going to be people in your life that you don't want to be kind to. You don't want to be gentle with. You don't want to be tender-hearted. And in our flesh, guess what? That's natural. That just that comes easy for us, right? Being unforgiving, holding grudges, being bitter, not being kind, being harsh, that comes natural to us. Please tell me I'm not the only one. I mean, I've talked to some of y'all. All right? I know I'm not the only one. Just like the little boy with the t-shirt, sometimes this forgiveness is not something we're comfortable putting on. This kindness to someone who's wronged us is not something we enjoy putting on. It's being gentle and understanding and compassionate. That's not something that's natural and comfortable for us. But just like that little boy, what we should do is when we see the Father putting on these things, we should be going, that's what I want to do. Because you know what? I want to be just like him. So, beloved children is where we're coming from. We're not coming from a place of an outsider. We're not coming from a place of trying to be accepted. We're not, trying, we're not coming from a place of trying to earn these things because we've, we want forgiveness. Because we feel like that if we do this, God will forgive us. If we do this, God will extend mercy to us. If we do this, God will extend grace to us. If we do this, then he's going to redeem us. And our salvation will be found if we do these things. We don't do these things because we're trying to gain acceptance. We do these things from acceptance. It's because Christ loved us even yet while we were still sinners and he accepted us. He extended his invitation to us and he brought us in. This is the reason that we do these things, not to be accepted, but to be more like him. And that's an ongoing process in each and every one of our lives. So I want us to look at, at a couple areas of love really quickly this morning. We see in verse 1, the types of love, we see the love of the Father in verse 1. So this command of imitating love is based on two types of love, the love of the Father being one, as be imitators of God as beloved children, or accepting those into the family that aren't worthy to be in the family. Newsflash this morning, none of you are worthy to be called a son or a daughter of God. I'm not, you're not. We're not worthy of being beloved children. But the second type of love we see in this passage, in verse 2, the love of the Son, the love of Jesus, that's what makes us worthy. Because we're commanded and walk in love. So I want to talk to you about the power of love real quickly. I think that there's three things that's revealed to us in here. And for any uh, Huey Lewis fans in here, uh, that song just went through your head. Um, or any Back to the Future fans back in that time frame. But there is a powerful source for our love, and that's our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So as we look at what power, what source are we to draw from, if we're commanded to love, if we're being imitators of God and we are supposed to love as an imitation of Him, how do we do this? What source do we draw from? We draw from the source who is willing to come and not only forgive, not only be kind, not only lay down all of these things, but He was willing to sacrifice Himself for us. You know, one of the first character descriptions in the Old Testament that God gives us of His nature is being compassionate. And we see that all the way through Scripture, of the compassion that God has for us. And compassion is not only, it's not, it's not only a noun, but it's also a verb. It's not only something that we are, it's something that we do, an action that we take. God is not only compassionate in who He is, He's compassionate in what He does, and what He does, and what He did, and what He continues to do, is extend His grace through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. That no greater love has someone than this, that they are willing to lay down their life for a friend. And that's the source of love that we have. That's the source of compassion that we have that we need to be imitating. That's what we need to be striving towards is to be more like our Savior and the love that He has for us. So the love that Jesus has for me is the same love that I need to be basing my relationship with you. And that is one of sacrifice. That is one of laying myself down. That is one of being willing to serve you. It's not easy, is it? Anybody in here find it really super easy to lay yourself down and sacrifice for others, especially, especially those who you don't agree with? especially those who may have offended you, who have wronged you, or someone that you love, or someone that just, you just have trouble looking at them. It's not easy, but that's the power for love that we have. That's the source that we have, and that's the command that God wants us to imitate Him in. And see, and this is what Paul's telling us. It's those toxins, those toxic things in our lives in chapter 4, verse 31, that continually pull us away from not only our relationship with one another, but also our relationship with God. Secondly, we see a pattern for love in this passage. As we see the giving Himself up for us. So the powerful source that we have is Christ. The pattern is the giving away of yourself. The serving till it hurts. The being vulnerable to the place that you're not comfortable with. The being transparent with others that may bring a level of, uh, of discomfort into your life. But just that being real. Just that being authentic and serving one another from a place of I've had to have someone intercede in my life. And that's Jesus Christ. And now I'm going to represent Him. I'm going to imitate Him the best that I possibly can 
in your life. And then the, the third example of love, and, and I, really, I really wanted to use a strong alliteration here, but I, I resisted. The third one is the fragrance of love. I really wanted to use the perfume of love. That way I could have power pattern perfume. And just to be honest with you, if we were Baptists, I'd be fired right now for not using alliterations. But as we see in verse 2, it says, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. All throughout Scripture, we see this offering, this sacrifice, being described as this fragrance either for good or bad. But whenever that there was a sacrifice made, in the Old Testament, before Christ, it was often uh, on the Day of Atonement. That was most frequently when the sacrifices were made that, that served as a temporary, <laughs> temporary forgiveness and a temporary atonement for the sins, that there would be altars of sacrifice and blood that would take place that would be an accepting or unacceptable offering to God. And as Paul's writing this, he's writing to a church, again, that we've covered several times that is made up of both Jewish converts and Gentile converts. And they would have understood this concept, even if you weren't Jewish. If you were Jewish at this time, you would have definitely understood the fragrance of a sacrifice when it came to atonement. But even if you were a Gentile at this portion in time, you may not have understood the Day of Atonement from a Jewish standpoint and background, but you would have understood the sacrificial altar. When we started this series back in this study in Ephesians back in January, we talked about the geography and the culture and the lay of the land in Ephesus. And we talked about one of their gods and goddesses. The primary one was the goddess Diana or the, the goddess Artemis. And in the, the city of Ephesus, they had this temple of Artemis. And if you remember your sixth or seventh grade history, which I do because I was rocking the Zach Morris hairdo at that time, so everything absorbed into me. If you remember this, this temple of Artemis is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And to give you an idea of what type of sacrifices that took place there is the altar of this place was so large that at least 100 sacrifices of large animals could be made at the same time. It's a lot of beef. So this fragrance, when Paul's talking about this sacrifice, both Jew and Gentile convert at that time would have understood that. It's something that is laid on an altar, and it's laid out in a way and in a pattern that it is totally powerless. It's giving up everything it has. It's laying itself out on the altar before God, saying, consume everything of me. And that's the type of offering that we need to be offering to our Father in our lives and with the way that we conduct ourselves, the way that we talk, the way that we act, the way that we interact with each other. Is this total and, com and complete commitment to being a sacrifice 
Romans 12, giving ourselves up as living sacrifices, as is our reasonable service. And we imitate God. And when we look at the sacrifice portion of it, how can we offer fragrant sacrifices in our lives? We can do it just like Jesus did. Jesus gave up everything and sacrificed himself completely. And that was the once and for all pleasing fragrance of atonement for our sins. Jesus gave us everything when we didn't deserve it, and the least that we can do is provide that back to him, giving him everything because he deserves that and far more. So how do we do this? What are some things that we can do to be imitators of God. Like I said, this is an ongoing process. This is something that we work towards daily, and this is also something that we fail at daily. I just don't want to be like the imitation crab meat kind of bad imitation, you know what I mean? So how do we, how do, we do this? Well, I think that there's a couple things that we can do. I think number one is knowing God. Knowing God. Just know Him. There's no greater privilege for a believer than to know God more today than what I knew him yesterday. There's no greater privilege in your life than to get to know God. The God who created the heavens, the God who created the earth, the God that created the planets, the God that created the cosmos, the God that created everything. Everything that we can see, everything that we can touch, everything that we can feel, everything that we can smell, everything that is in existence is by his spoken word. And this all-powerful presence, this all-powerful Father has opened the doors to his chambers and said, come in because I want you to know me. What greater privilege could we possibly even begin to imaginably compare with being able to know the Almighty God and know Him more? Not only more now, but more tomorrow. And more the day after that. Seek His face. Psalm 26 says, and the Lord cried out and says, you know, seek my face. And my heart responded, your face shall I seek. The next, I think, not only know, I think we need to walk in him. Walk in him. Is what you're doing what God wants you to do? And I know I've talked to you about this a couple times and given you the, this example, but this was an example and a lesson that I wish I'd learned a lot sooner rather than later, but God was trying to teach me from a very early point. And, 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 I, and I, want, I want your participation with this because I want to ask a question and, and I want you to, to, to hold your hand up, okay? So go with me. How many of you have ever made plans that you have seen blow up in your face come on if you've seen hold hold them up keep them up there now everybody around the room to look by around the room to look okay we're all in the same company here but for some reason that's not just happened to me once like i've run out of fingers and toes 
on how many times that that's happened. But I keep having this nature to go back to it that I'm going to make these plans and I'm going to set out to do these things and then I'm going to pray, oh God, please bless it. You know, it's kind of like also that sixth, seventh grade me that was making the phone calls to this girl that I was crushing on and like, God, God, I need you to hear me right now. If you would just let her say yes to going out with me, I will never, never ask anything again. Don't make your plans and then hope that God blesses them. Seek the face of God for what He wants you walking in and then walk in that because you don't have to pray that He blesses it then. Right? If it's God's will, if it's God's desire for you, if it's God's plan then I'm walking in his blessings already. I'm not having to beg God to bless the plans that I'm making. So walk in him. Know him and then walk in him. And then the last thing I would encourage you to do, rest in him. Rest in him. Whose hands could we possibly be in that we're more secure than God the Father. Now listen, we can look around, we can see all kinds of turmoil, we can see all types of chaos, all, all types of darkness. We can look into our future and we can foresee possibilities that's all kinds of dark, all kinds of bad, and guess what? It's probably right. It's called living in a sin-filled world. I don't, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news or be the downer of the group. But I, I really don't know where we can look in Scripture and, and pull out things that this world's going to get a whole lot better. But when I can rest amongst the chaos that's happening all around me, then my rest and my hope is found in something that's far greater than all of that. And I think that if anything, if I could choose one thing to be recalibrated in believers' lives today is recalibrate our source of hope. Because while we may say that our hope is in Jesus, most of the time the way that that plays out in our lives is our hope is in everything else. And we've conditioned and patterned ourselves to that be the right Sunday school kind of answers that my hope is in Jesus but we're not living that way. There is possibility for rest in the midst of the storms of our lives. Jesus showed us that example while he was on the boat. The disciples were panicking. Hurricane-type storm coming up. Winds, rain, waves, out of control. The source of hope and rest in our lives needs to be Jesus Christ. We can't bury our heads in the sand. We can't act like everything's not happening because it is. And everything changes. 
and will continue to change. And it may not always be positive changes, but the one thing that never changes that is the same yesterday, today, and forever is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's good news. Amen? That source of hope is good news. Know Him more. Walk in Him. And rest in Him. I want to ask the praise team if they would to come back up this morning. We're going to see next week what we saw last week. We're going to see it in a large part next week. Is that these things that we wrestle with, these things that war that we're at war with in our flesh and that come so naturally to us, they're a big deal in our lives because Paul is giving us this indication because he spends the last part of chapter 4 and a good part of chapter 5 after this talking about, hey, those things that you've done, those things that come so naturally to you, put them off and put on this. Why? So we can be imitators of God, His love, His grace, and His mercy with forgiveness, with being kind, being tender, and being gracious.